Welcome to the second season of the podcast series, The Growing Pandemic, How Innovation and Collaboration Can End Alzheimer's, brought to you by the Global CEO Initiative on Alzheimer's Disease, or CEOI. This podcast series explores opportunities to accelerate our fight against Alzheimer's disease, shared during the 2021 Lausanne Workshop. This convening, held each year in Lausanne, Switzerland, is the world's leading stage for global dialogue on how to speed new innovations in prevention, treatment, and care to those impacted by Alzheimer's. CEOI is an organization of private sector leaders who have joined together to provide business leadership in the fight against Alzheimer's, a growing pandemic that threatens to devastate communities, national health systems, and the global economy if we fail to act. In Episode 3 of Season 2, we'll explore novel therapeutic approaches to Alzheimer's disease. The panel includes leading experts and researchers. Jana Hutz is the president of ASI Center for Genetics Guided Dementia Discovery. In this role, she leads discovery of novel therapeutics focusing on drug targets associated with Alzheimer's by human genetics. Saul Cato is a professor of neuroscience at the University of California, San Francisco. He is also the co-founder and CEO of Herophilus, which joins human brain models, scaled biology, and machine learning to advance drug discovery. Christopher Missling is the president and CEO of Anavex Life Sciences. Anavex focuses on genomic biomarkers to develop therapies for Alzheimer's disease. Brant Vaughn is the CEO of Cognito Therapeutics, which is developing a non-invasive medical device that uses neuromodulation to target disruptions of the brain's electrical activity. Christian Ran is an assistant professor at the Cardiovascular Research Center and the McCants Center for Brain Health at Massachusetts General Hospital in Harvard Medical School. She is also the co-founder of Avon Therapeutics. Roberta Diaz-Brinton is the director of the UA Center for Innovation in Brain Science at the University of Arizona Health Sciences and the moderator of the discussion. Together, they share their perspectives on the current state of the field and the most promising approaches to accelerate drug discovery for Alzheimer's and dementia. Please note that the opinions expressed by participants are their own and do not necessarily reflect the positions of the organizations they represent. Some of the questions that we will be considering during this session are, what are the current hurdles in Alzheimer's research and innovation? And this was touched on a little bit earlier today, but some of those hurdles are really around developing a precision medicine approach to Alzheimer's disease. There are multiple on-ramps to Alzheimer's disease. We know that there are over a hundred risk factors for Alzheimer's disease. How can we detect those individuals at risk and intervene very early for prevention and mitigation of that risk? The Alzheimer's Drug Discovery Foundation site has recently posted a phenomenal development for the current state of therapeutic development across the world and across the globe with over 118 clinical trials currently being performed across different phases 
of the clinical trial spectrum. And in that portfolio of therapeutics that are being developed in, in clinical testing, in clinical testing, are therapies for my favorite, regeneration, but nor protection, inflammation, misfolded proteins, mitochondria, promoting mitochondrial and metabolic function, vascular disease, synaptic activity and neurotransmitter targets, as well as the genetics and epigenetics. So with that, I will now turn it over to introduce the panelists in this exciting session. And as each of you introduce yourself, please share with us your novel therapeutic approach, your vision for your contribution in the field, and your hope for the direction in which the field can go and opportunities to achieve that goal. I lead the site for AZI's genetics-guided dementia discovery efforts in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And here, what I hope to share with you more details on through the course of the panel discussion, we are very focused on following what human genetics has told us about Alzheimer's disease and developing therapeutics that are informed by those hypotheses. So we target genes that are expressed in the microglia of Alzheimer's, uh, of brains, which are sort of the immune cells in the brain. I'm a professor of neuroscience at University of California, San Francisco, but also the co-founder and CEO of Herophilus, or five-year-old neurotherapeutics discovery company. And our approach and our belief is that you need to, we, we as a field, we need to do a, a lot, go back in some sense to the drawing board of doing deeper and, and more extensive preclinical modeling of disease using a next generation of, a new generation of, of more sophisticated in vitro modeling. This is human cell derived in vitro modeling. We can now culture bits of brain tissue that have been derived from the blood of patients and we can get down to a more precision and more detailed understanding of the biological mechanisms behind disease. But we start in, in some sense with the data that Jana has mentioned with the genetic backgrounds, patients, and we seek to build models where we can then prosecute and discover in a much more scalable manner using modern technologies like automation and robotics to discover mechanisms of disease. Great to be here. I'm Christopher Misling. I'm president and CEO of Anavex Life Sciences. We have learned from early studies using genetic background in clinical trials that the uh, imbalance of the homeostasis of uh, housekeeping functions are impaired in patients with Alzheimer's disease. And what we have found though, is that the body itself has mechanisms to compensate for these imbalances and homeostasis dysfunctions. And we have activated these body-owned defense mechanism. And what's interesting is that that this approach, which was taken from the playbook from oncology, has led to uh, in oncology immunostimulation to very successful outcomes is here at the test to be applied also in CNS. Hi, I'm Brent Vaughn. I'm the CEO of Cognito Therapeutics. We apply optogenetics to be able to directly target abnormalities and disruptions of brain electrical activity to ultimately impact both structure and function and affect disease modification and neurodegenerative diseases, beginning with Alzheimer's. We've learned that abnormalities and disruptions in electrical activity across the brain are in themselves novel druggable targets, and we've shown they change function, but also change protein pathologies and structure. 
We've now done this across multiple phase two studies, and we've shown that our therapeutic intervention has the ability to, or at least the potential to slow and arrest the progression of Alzheimer's disease, which is our lead indication. We were granted breakthrough designation based upon our phase two study earlier this year. We've shown the ability to improve memory, cognition, functional symptoms as well. And, and one of the things that we think is most exciting, we've shown across multiple studies, the ability to slow or arrest the accelerated brain atrophy and volumetric loss that is seen with Alzheimer's progression. All right, I think I'm next. My name is uh, Dr. Christian Rahn. I'm an assistant professor at the Cardiovascular Research Center and the McCann Center for Brain Health at the Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School. I'm also the leader of the program for neuroprotection and exercise. Our research is interested in finding the molecular mediators of the beneficial effects of exercise to identify them as druggable targets to treat cognitive decline in aging and Alzheimer's disease. I am also the scientific co-founder of Avon Therapeutics, which is a company who seeks to also harness these protective molecular mediators to find novel therapeutics to treat neurodegeneration or neuromuscular diseases. One of our recent studies actually has identified one of these very promising targets. It's a novel exercise hormone called irisin made in skeletal muscle and in the hippocampus in exercise. And we have shown it's a crucial hormone for mediating the cognitive benefits in exercise, in aging, and in Alzheimer's disease. Thank you, everyone, for those great introductions and calls to action that you, you have advanced. So coming back to the whole issue around the immune system, Janet, do you want to lead us off a little bit on why is it important to focus in on microglia? So I think it's important to, to understand where our interest in microglia came from. Again, we've been guided by the genetics and by the data, which pointed to them starting around maybe 10 years ago or so. And we're up to now very large studies, which have included DNA from over a million individuals. And those have yielded about 40, 50, 60 locations in the genome that significantly impact Alzheimer's risk. And if we look under those locations in the genomes, under those peaks, we see overwhelming representation of genes that are expressed in microglia. And so this was not maybe so widely appreciated prior to these studies that microglia could play a causal role in Alzheimer's disease, but that's the evidence that was uncovered. And because DNA has a sort of unidirectional causal effect on disease, your disease doesn't go back and rewrite your DNA in every cell of your body, we can be pretty confident that these genes, these targets are playing a causal role to drive disease. Terrific. So Christopher, do you want to give us a, your thoughts on why the immune therapies like with anti-amyloid beta antibodies have had so many mixed results and primarily modest, if you will. I think what we learned when we set step back a minute and this panel here had the chance to do that, that's why we hear this great ideas, is that Alzheimer's disease is a very complex disease, but now we learn this tau, this inflammation, microglia inflammation, there's calcium imbalance, there's chromatine remodeling requirement, there's autophagy insufficiency. And I think it's also what we have learned recently from papers from scientists that a beta is also involved in a protective mode sometimes. And Rudy Tanzi uh, provided a paper on that quite recently. So it's just not very trivial 
to grab and say, this is the cause, we remove it, and then all everything is good. And I come back to the lessons learned from oncology, where there's also was 10 years ago, even before, a realization of that targeting the cancer itself, kind of like micromanaging it, is maybe not the most astute way. It is a way, but it's not the most astute way. Maybe we can use the body-owned defense mechanism, which is much more potent in its entirety. And that led to the activation of the immune system to fight the cancer. And that's the same here in Alzheimer, the thinking might be better off to go in that direction. And that's what we have been done. And we're now happy that we have now a phase three running, which is fully enrolled. And we'll see the outcome of that probably around the time to, um, in a year from now. So Dr. Ren, what about these biomarkers? It's going to be critically important that we have indicators of target engagement. Can you talk a little bit about that in your kind of complex multi-system approach of exercise? There has been made some progress in finding good biomarkers for, you know, pushing disease like diagnostic earlier, either with, um, you know, CSF biomarkers with P-tau assays, or now even there's some promising data on using different P-tau assays in the blood to come to an earlier diagnosis. However, the biomarkers we have are still not very good in staging the disease and monitoring progress or what you know we are a lot interested in is and also monitoring success of therapies so i think there's still a lot of work to be done and i think there are different areas where we have to look at i think it's a good idea also to look a little bit you know like the neuroinflammation is still very underdeveloped we don't have any good biomarkers. i mean there's some promising biomarkers but we don't have one that is very well accepted in clinical trials but is really already measuring the component of neuroinflammation or even better another biomarker that that, you know, has gained a lot of attention is the neurofilament light chain, which is not especially attached to one specific disease. If the idea is that it's a part of a neuron, so if you have any diseases that compromises the health of the neuron, for example, causing neuronal death, part of this is going to be released and we can we can measure that. And I think looking at, um, you know, just you know, not just at tau pathology or amyloid plaques, but looking at neuroinflammation or, you know, I'm coming from the exercise field, also looking at the changes that exercise is causing or the changes that unbiased, coming in with unbiased approaches, what are the changes that aging is causing and using this as a marker for monitoring brain health, I think could be a very promising approach. Thank you, Christiane. Brent, what's a biomarker for changing electrical activity in the brain? Well, looking at electrical activity across the brain, right? I mean, when we look at when we look at EEGs from patients that have Alzheimer's versus non-Alzheimer's patients, you can see dramatic changes right at baseline. And one of the things that was seen early on and, and known throughout the literature is that when you look at Alzheimer's patients, you see a relative absence of brain activity across the gamma frequency. Throughout the literature, we know that gamma frequency oscillations are integral not only into how the brain communicates and processes information, but ultimately trigger so many of the different protein, chemokine, cytokine changes that we've now shown the relationship throughout clinical studies. When we look at the ability to, to change the, the pathoelectrophysiology in the brain, we see some, some very dramatic changes. We can see changes in the EEG immediately upon providing gamma frequency stimulation, and we see entrainment and coherence build across the brain. We know that, we know that neurons that fire together increasingly wire together, and so in the same 
same way that Janice suggested that microglia might also be implicated in how the brain changes or adapts its synaptic connectivity, we see that. We see changes in fMRI showing increased connectivity through default mode network. And I think the things that everyone's talking about here, which is how we approach the disease, is looking at microglia activation, see how that involves astrocytes, and start to look at chemokine and cytokine expression changes that shows that we're helping nudge the brain or react to the brain's ability to start to regain homeostasis, which it is clearly lost in the progression of Alzheimer's. Thank you. So I'd like to switch gears a little bit now and move from kind of thinking specifically and more and kind of more broadly. On my end, we've developed a startup new therapeutics, it's NEU therapeutics, to advance commercialization of our regenerative therapeutic, because if we don't commercialize, we don't ultimately reach our target, which is the Alzheimer's patients. So I'd like for each of you to kind of share some of the challenges and successes and lessons learned for your journey on moving from discovery to ultimately to commercialization. ASI has been doing this already, doing this for a long time, going back to Aricept, right? Bringing therapeutics to market for Alzheimer's disease. We've seen that clinical trials could be faster if we are able to use more dynamic biomarker endpoints, ultimately potentially as a, as a proxy for cognitive or functional endpoints. So, uh, you know, kind of to expand on that a little bit, Brent, can you talk a little bit about these surrogate biomarkers? Historically, the bar to be able to achieve the surrogate label with the FDA has been inordinately high. And so I think surrogate is probably a longer and higher mission than ultimately trying to figure out how to get your novel therapeutic intervention across the finish line. And so I think for us, when we think about biomarkers, we're trying, besides looking at maybe entrainment and, and coherence across changes in brain activity, we're also quite interested in looking at some of the things like volumetric change, looking at the ability to preserve hippocampal volume, whole brain volume, like we've seen in clinical studies. And so I think that there's some ripe areas there. To your original point, looking at changes in electrophysiology is quite powerful. The other thing regarding commercialization, we're not there yet, but we hope to get there. But I would say what we have done consistently in all our clinical trials, we have engaged with patients, with patients' advocacy, with the caretakers, and with the uh, investigators to educate them and also ask them and work with them together before we finalize the clinical trial protocol in order to get their buy-in going forward. And it's really, I think it's the best you can do at this stage before you are in a commercialization level because it starts very early, the interaction. What are the barriers? What are the opportunities? What are the strategies that are going to be critical to advancing each of our innovations globally. I think the topic of how do we work globally is critical actually for our discovery efforts. And if you think about the types of genetics research I've been talking about, globally Alzheimer's genetics has been conducted primarily in white European populations. And so we really need to improve the diversity of data sets that are used for research. And that includes genetic data sets, but also biomarker data sets. I think we're starting to see more efforts in this area, which I'm really excited about. 
Um, but we have every expectation that by being more global and more diverse in our research approaches, we're going to identify no, new targets, novel biology, novel biomarkers. Saul, you want to weigh in on a global, you know, advancement? You kind of touched on the on the opportunity to to leverage the global stage for clinical trials, and there there are some interesting opportunities now to do clinical trials out of out of the U.S., out of even you know Western Europe, and I think that's emerging, and it could be it could be a way to be more efficient. I think we we do need to figure out ways to have more entrance in in what is a, in a costly, expensive, and difficult thing to do, which is run an Alzheimer's trial. Good points. Good points, Christiane. Your thoughts on the global challenge. I think it's something where regulatorily we have to work together and have some vision. How do we deal with the situation that a lot of the drug development and discovery is being done in the, in the rich countries of the world and by manufacturers who, with good reason, also have an interest in having profits. But on the other hand, how do we then come up with strategies if and when we develop a therapeutic, then also have countries that have less resources than we have being able to participate in the goods. And I know that also for HIV drugs, there was a lot of discussions how we are doing that. I don't think we have found a perfect solution. I'm not an economist. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not, I cannot tell you how exactly you have to do that, that it's fair for everyone. But I think especially when you're thinking about that these therapies we are developing, the more precision they are, the more they're geared to maybe immune therapies. So there are costly therapies and we have to find a way to make this then there's equity and participation of, of everyone if you want to solve this problem globally. Brent? Being able to think about engaging other populations in your clinical trial process earlier, we are gearing up. We will be starting our phase three pivotal trial, which will be the basis for, for our submission and approval. We'll start that in Q1. We're already in discussions across Asia to add cohorts in some of the countries there that would allow us to actually look at pivotal cohorts in Asia that would combine with our U.S. data, but that would run in parallel. So starting to move away from the more sequential idea of U.S. market first and then spending years starting to knock over the other dominoes as you move across the world. Now that we're rapidly coming to a close, I want to thank you all for this fantastic discussion today, your thoughts, your insights and perspectives as we continue to disrupt and innovate the Alzheimer's field. As the field advances scientific understanding of Alzheimer's, new therapeutic approaches are beginning to emerge and show promise. We must translate this promise into reality accelerating towards breakthrough treatments and scaling them globally. This work is critically important for slowing and ending Alzheimer's disease, the growing pandemic. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Lausanne Workshop and the Global CEO Initiative on Alzheimer's Disease, please visit usagainstalzheimers.org.